0: Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Edward Rudisville, sitting here as always with Arthur Black. Hello. And today we've got another guest from New York because we couldn't get away from New York. We only took one short break there. Uh, But we've got Danny Mena uh, coming in, talking about mezcal and uh, several restaurants you got going up there. How's everybody out there? So welcome to the show, man. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me out here. We've got uh, got quite a spread on the table. Um, I apologize if I don't taking a lot of it as we were talking off mic a little bit. Uh, suffering from about a bout of food poisoning. I don't know if you knew that, oh, Arthur. But, yeah, but what
1: happened, man? I'm
0: recovering now, but I just like I haven't had any like hydration or, or food in my stomach. I don't know. It is what it is. It happens. You know? no,
1: I, I guess it happens, but food poisoning
0: blows. Yeah, it's not been fun. <laughs> Literally. But, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. No, no it's, it's Can a Brad horrible... sound effects into that? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he could. So, um... We always start every episode off with the same question, Danny, and I know you were in Cincinnati last night with, uh, you said your wife's from Cincinnati, and... Yeah,
2: the in-law. Uh, did you have anything to drink last night? Uh, I did. I was drinking, uh, we went to an Indian restaurant, so I had a Taj Mahal beer, which I'm not a huge beer, but not bad. And then, now I'm kind of, I'm really obsessed with, like, all I drink really now is mezcal so, I've been drinking like a lot of. So, <laughs> together? And, and sometimes I drink it together. I've been doing, I used to do tequila and wine when I first opened the restaurant like 10 years ago. And my girlfriend, now wife, um, she always would, would mock and like find it really disgusting to like drinking some wine and then have a little bit of mezcal and drink some wine. And I still do it with, I mean, at the time it was tequila and wine and I do mezcal so and a, wine. And it's not. Just a,
1: to clarify, you're not, <laughs> this isn't like a wine mezcal daiquiri or it, some it, shit. I mean, it, you, you're drinking wine at one point, they're, they're, and then you have mezcal I, in, a, a I, in a separate glass. In
2: a separate glass, and I'll drink a couple of sips of, of mezcal, and then I'll go back to wine. So it's not necessarily it's not a shooter, oh. but it's like oh, okay,
1: you know that. That's fine. I don't judge. I was just <laughs> like, am I missing out on a thing? Like, <laughs> no,
2: no, no. It's not like a calimocho, It's not okay, like okay, yeah, yeah. I'm like what mezcal you he's, he's just taking that to the next level. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, no, but it's so. So that's what I'm so. So I've been drinking, so now I drink a lot of wine. So then, of course, I always end up with wine, which is really a bad decision. You go to kind of like a dive bar, and it's like you always, I always ask for wine, and then I'm like, why am I drinking? Because beer, like, it fills me up. I can do, like, one beer, yeah. and then I'm done. And then, I, and then I drink, like, even when I drink, like, mezcal and beer, I'll drink, you know, four glasses of mezcal for one beer. And I'm always kind of just really, it's just, it just enough to, like, cleanse the palate and entertain me a little while, because obviously if I drink four or five glasses of mezcal, you know, it starts to get... Starts to go downhill kind of yeah, quickly. Yeah, well, it's, it's such <laughs> a low proof spirit. Yeah, exactly. I can, I can easily drink twelve. Did um, so. you have anything to drink last night, Arthur? Right
1: um, not last night, but we um, I had class yesterday, so I was teaching, and what the hell we talk about? Oh, uh, we covered shochu. Oh, nice. So did that. Um, During the daytime, knows my way through a bunch of uh, shochu with all the kids, um, but uh,
2: nothing last night. Was there any good shochu? Is there a good shochu? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of baiju, forget it. Shochu yeah. I love, shochu I love. Yeah. Baiju is the one I'm still, uh, i have yeah. yet to still come getting... across. Who, been... was
0: it that, who was our guest that was real into baiju? Was it Timo Jansa in Amsterdam that was talking about baiju? I think it was. Yeah, it I was. think I think it was. Yeah, he yeah. was super into it.
1: <sighs> but I just think, I think it comes down to exposure, you Yeah. Know? I mean, it, it's, it, when we start to get some of those more, you know, esoteric um, spirits from the East, Maybe we'll, we'll find the ones that are really, really tasty and we can, you know, get some so you, soju you,
0: and, um, God, I, I don't know if any byju that's in, available in our... Well, it's the kind of the same boat that Muscat was in, you know, 20 years ago. Like, everybody's exposure to it was like the scorpion in the bottom of the fucking bottle.
2: Oh, or? Yeah, that
1: was it. Uh, I guess, but I, I, I have to take the side that that... Um,
0: Well, as far as exposure
1: into the United States, you know what I mean? I was going to say, I I think, you know, like the worst mezcal is still probably better than the best, (laughs) best rice based distillate that I've had so far, at least. But um, I mean,
0: you're biased. (laughs) Both of you are biased. Well,
2: no, but I I like to drink. So like I I appreciate like, you know, all spirits and there's few. And I've had I've had I've had like the first baju I had was like two years ago and I was like and the first sip I was like this is interesting and then like by the third sip I'm like I'm done mm-hmm. and then but I was in D.C. and there was somebody that was importing baiju and, and obviously she worked for the company she was talking about how this was a real premium quality baiju that tasted exactly like the other crap that I'd had that was <laughs> undrinkable to me so I was like, I was like so, I, and I'm open I like, I would love the idea but I have, I have no no quorums with, uh, with finding another great spirit oh. out there but
1: hey, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what the hell we're talking about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Which, you're not alone. Right, you're, you're not alone. Right. There's a lot of you
0: out there. Yeah, you're not We alone. don't know like, what the hell we're like talking about.
1: Like three of us. We, we have no idea what we're talking about. That's one of my favorite Mitch Hedberg things where he's like, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> we're talking about a handful of uh, spirits that, that are coming out of Asia. Uh, China, Japan, uh, Korea, uh, Vietnam. Um, <laughs> Snake and, whiskey? And, uh, why That's not? a whole I had, other category. I, I, I've had snakes in a few different. Have you had uh, snake whiskey snakes. from Vietnam? Um,
0: I have tried that before. Is that that like been, s- I've snake poisoned?
1: It's, it's like they literally
0: like it's like <laughs> instead of using formaldehyde, they just use distill it
1: and put uh, a baby snake in and, and I, just pour I've alcohol. On. I've had snake satol, uh, up in the, the hills of northern Mexico. Um, and yeah, that, was, that was pretty damn pungent and funky. Um, <laughs> I, I would assume. And I, I thought there'd be like some really cool, like regional name or something, like, you know, Pachuga or, you know, what is this called? And the guy just looked at me, he was like, Snake Musital. <laughs> <Right now. laughs> of course that's what it's called. Silly me for wanting to hear more of your culture. Um, but we, we're, we're talking about a bunch of spirits that um, um, are usually typically rice based, but can be grain based. Um, or barley, or even in, in, in the case of, of Shoshu, which, which I had mentioned, um, you've got 50-some different ingredients that can go into it, from tomatoes to aloe to uh, buckwheat and... and Sorghum, whatever. And, yeah. 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 All, I mean, it's a, a lot of things, you know, like radish and, and, and things like that. So if you get a chance to experience those spirits, and look them out, because, I mean, honestly, all the those three or four different types of uh, spirits that we mentioned lumped together, they make up, like, one of the most widely consumed spirit
0: in the world. Yeah, the most. You're still in yesterday's <laughs> education mode, aren't you? I can see, like, pointing at your paper, like, you're, like, come on, people, listen to this. This is a large
1: category. <laughs> I just want the listeners to know, you know, sometimes we throw out these weird
0: words, and oftentimes I slur yeah. through them. <laughs> well, I mean, Soju does st- sound slurred, because that's why the confusion between shochu and soju, because it does sound like when you're drinking shochu and start slurring it. <laughs> but speaking of all these like you know regional uh, differences of alcohols, we were talking before you got here today, Arthur, um, about um, Danny's history. And so, for those of you not familiar with Danny, he's a uh, chef in New York. We've got now two places. You said you just two. opened, we just La, opened Loncheria?
2: La Loncheria in Bushwick in Brooklyn out there, and then we have another one called Echo and Dumbo. Which started off as a pop-up, ten year, like ten right. and a half years ago, before the term pop-up even existed. So we called it a reoccurring culinary event. Now, um, to be clear, you said it's called Echo and Dumbo, but it's not in Dumbo anymore. So we were so in you Dumbo. You Echo and Dumbo, we were, but now you are. We so we, we <laughs> wanted something that was like I'm from Mexico City, so he's like we want to do something that's really authentic. So like everything that gets made in Mexico has the label Echo in Mexico. So we're like oh, it was perfect. We'll call it Echo and Dumbo. We were in the neighborhood of Dumbo, Brooklyn, um, and then. When we finally were able to kind of grow into a real restaurant, I was like, I still want it to be known that we are from this area. We were now, in a sense, like, it took from being made in Mexico, now to sort of saying we were made in Dumbo, and that's where we, like, spawned from, and not the idea that we we're growing, and we're going to have an echo in Bowery, and an echo in Indianapolis, and an echo in, you know, Beijing, but, um, but it confused a lot of people, and I don't know if that <laughs> was the right choice. It's like, wait, you're not in Dumbo? You're not in Brooklyn? And I was like, no, we're... And then the people that don't know anything always think it has something to do with the elephant. <laughs> so, so like, it nothing to the non New it. Yorkers, like, like, you, you've
1: been talking the whole time. I, I was just thinking
0: elephant. <laughs> <laughs> you were yeah. literally in Gumbo with it. me like a month ago. I know. I okay, okay. all right. So, <laughs> the Dumbo no, flying, that's a the cool, cool
2: little area. Uh, that is cool. So, where's it at now? So, now we're on Bowery and 4th Street. So, 354 Bowery is our uh, address. So, we have that one. And then, and then we just opened kind of like a, kind of a chef driven sort of sandwich shop in, uh, in Bushwick. So the idea is to kind of play a little bit with like different ingredients. And so there's, you know, we have one like a porchetta sandwich, but instead of what we use is a Yucatecan kind of burnt chili called chilmole, like a sauce. And so we kind of smother it in this black sort of chili sauce. Um, and then we do like hard boiled egg and pickled red onions and all the ingredients that you would get from this dish, but put it into a sandwich, so. How is more. the um, Mexican restaurant scene in New York?
0: Um, because here in the Midwest, we have uh, quite a large Mexican population in, in Chicago as well and in Indianapolis. And I mean, when I think of New York, I think more Puerto Rican or Italian or any number of other like ethnicities. But Mexican, a little bit less.
2: I mean, De- Definitely less than Puerto Rican. I mean, uh, you know, I know Chicago obviously is a huge, huge epicenter for, you know, Immigrants um, and obviously, with having a lot of Mexicans and, and that sort of culture coming behind it. Um, you know, New York has a ton from Puebla. So you see how different regions and like every kitchen cook is Puebla. So there's been, like, I've seen so many offshoots. And so, like, a, you know, a friend of mine who has a restaurant that he had a, a um, French restaurant. And then he, with the cooks, they would always make family meal. that was kind of obviously using some of the ingredients that they had with Mexicans. So then he opened a place called Cantina Jolie, and it's, like, French-Mexican fusion. And it's all inspiration from all the cooks. So there's a lot of, like, Mexican cooks. And little by little, we're seeing less and less. And now we're seeing a new wave of kind of, like, African immigrants. Um, and as the Mexicans kind of evolve, they're, they're getting out of the kitchen. Um, so it's putting, you know, in that scene, it's it's getting a little tougher. Um, but with that, you see a lot of Mexican restaurants, you see a lot of like, you know, taco shops and tortillerias. But there's more and more people getting into making, like importing their masa for, or importing the corn from Mexico and making Nixtamal. And there's a lot of restaurants. I mean, a ton of restaurants. Like in, when we opened at Dumbo, you know, it was the first one kind of on that block. And now we have one that's like called the La Hormiga Negra, the Black Ant, that's a block away. We have another one called Rosie's. We have one from Enrico um, Olvera, opened up his restaurant called Atla. So now like in a five block radius, there's six Mexican restaurants. Um, you know, this little bar next to us opened up, a pataco stand that's on the street. So, you're seeing a, a big evolution. There's still a lacking of kind of the the basis. Like, there's still no good place to get like really good like tortillas. Like I was in San Diego, and there's like a whole Mexican grocery, and it was amazing. And then they have their tortilla maker there, and they have their flour tortillas that they're making, and they make them by hand. So all those things, you're still, we're still kind of, we're still secondary to other parts. Um, but in terms of of Mexican food, you can find a really good selection of. Um, and there's a, there's a high quality that goes behind, um, you know, the eaters, the, 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 the expectations of, 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 of a good meal in, Mexi- in New York, I think, is really high. Um, but it's funny, as I go back to Mexico, I'm more times, well, not more times than not, but more times than I used to either believe so or anything, I'm underwhelmed with the food. Really, so I'm from Mexico City, and like I was like, guys, ah, like just a little more salt, or they did a little bit more of this. Like, I was I, like, I feel like there's because it kind of gets like you know like the tacos al carbón, which is kind of your tacos al pastor and your steak tacos and the simplest of tacos, which is what every time I was drunk like I'd always end up eating. And now most of them I go to, and I'm like, meh. There's you know there's and there's more now chef-driven restaurants that are that are doing things really really cool. But it's interesting that I think New York has got a very kind of a high standard for for better or for worse. It's
1: funny. uh, Ed, you mentioned that we have a large Latin American uh, population here in Indy, and and, and we do. um, But a week uh, week ago when I was out doing some vineyard work, I was working with the the vineyard manager, uh, real nice guy, Alfonso, but his his English wasn't so great. My Spanish is shit. And we were just sitting there uh, talking, and he looks at me, he's like, you have Mexicans in Indianapolis, <laughs> you know, and I just kind of—it's like, uh, yeah, you know, and and, and then he, he goes, too many.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I just I just. Started laughing my ass off because I'm I, that okay odd, uh, and I was like, not for me, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm good with it. Um, but yeah, it just cracked me up. <laughs> too many. It, uh, too
2: many, and I'm like, no, no. So,
1: any um, case.
2: Um, so anyway, yeah. So it's has going, but I think there's certain areas that are still more more predominant. I just recently
0: watched that um, new David Chang, uh, Ugly Delicious or whatever, and I was really shocked at like the diversity of cuisines in Mexico City and Puebla. Like, I mean, chalk it up to my ignorance. I mean, I wasn't like, I was like, oh, all Mexican food is tacos. Like, which obviously that's always an uphill battle you're fighting. And we talked about that uh, before we got rolling today because we encountered that at my Thai restaurant. It's like, oh, everything's just Pad Thai or whatever. <laughs> but, um, and then of course the, the presumption that everything should be cheap because they've had cheap street tacos or whatnot. Yeah. But um, I think, what I was most surprised is like some of the influences that I hadn't realized were there in Mexican cuisine like North African
2: and Arabian influences coming through and, into the food especially in Puebla I did, I had no idea oh, of course like, I mean it's amazing because like Mexican food and I've done a lot of like studying and everything and, and, and it's you know Mexican food is one of the, the places that it's like a true fusion of foods you have the, the strong indigenous base and so obviously we like tomatoes the corn the chili you know a lot of like different types of like squash and zucchini um but then you have this really strong like you know Spanish influence and then you have a really strong French influence and when they came and they kind of um, and then of course there's Lebanese and there's Asian and there was a whole kind of Chinese, so like cilantro is not Mexican, and yet now we think of that like carnitas is pork, like that's far from you know being indigenous and then like national dishes, so like mole, you know, these are ones where like the cacao is Mexican, the chili is Mexican, but a lot oh, of these spices cacao. are not. And like, you know, chile nogada, so it's like the Mexican national dish because you have your green chili which is Mexican, then stuffed with pork, which is obviously not, you know, native. And then you have this kind of cream walnut sauce that the cream is not, the walnut is. um, But there are things that now we think of, like taxo al pastor, where you talk about the Lebanese influence, like this is pork on a spit. And and obviously the Lebanese did not bring it over with pork. um, And then we've added pork or the Spanish. And then we, of course, infuse it with a lot of chilies. And this became now, you think of this as just Mexican food. And it was really interesting that kind of when they were talking about like Peruvian food, how it kind of, you have the the Japanese influence and you have the native influence. And it's kind of both that are side by side. And they never really amalgamated into one national sort of cuisine. And then you have like the Puerto Rican that they're saying, and they just came over and kind of destroyed whatever was there. And it's all just like, you know, the Spanish sort of influence. Uh,
1: It is fascinating. And it's making me pretty (laughs) damn Well it
0: brings up one of my favorite things to discuss, or maybe my... (laughs) One of my uh, least favorite things to discuss usually, I guess, uh, is the way I should phrase it, but um, this question of authenticity. I hate the word authentic, and because we encounter it all the time in Thai cuisine, people come in like, oh, this isn't authentic. I was in Thailand once for four days, and it didn't taste like this, or I went to France once, and like my croissant didn't taste like this, and I'm like at what point do you peg authentic right like i could throw a dart and hit any period of history of thailand or prior to thailand in uh the 30s it was siam but like you've had numerous things like right the stir fry was brought to the, uh from thailand from the chinese in the you know late 19th century or mid 19th century like so there wasn't stir fries before that um you know some of the immigrations from like the mid-continent in india coming into thailand brought coconut or the idea of adding coconut milk into curries and things like that. So, like, at what point do you consider, like, this is the date at which going forward it's authentic? So, like, I mean, we think of Al pastor, as that as an authentic... Mexican thing, but, like, authentic to win, you know, prior to the, you know,
2: Lebanese immigration or, you know, prior. I, and then I, 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 You and me both. Like I. There's few words that I hate more than authentic. And when I open, I'm from Mexico City, so when we opened our restaurant at Chondumbo, it was all about, was like, we're not going to do cream. We're not going to do cheese. We're not going to do lettuce. We're not going to sell silverware. Like, we're going to make real Mexican food. And then it was like, and so then the word authentic and then, like. And it's, what is authentic? I bought this cookbook from like 19, like 19 from Mexico. And I was like super excited. It's like, okay, this is going to be real authentic Mexican food. The whole thing was French. It was right after the French had come in and it was like pates and consommes and all this. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) this is like, this is a 1919 cookbook. Like I was expecting (laughs) to find like, um, so of course, like as soon as you leave... You know, there's, there's a smell, there's a sight, there's sounds, there's anything that's going on in you New know, Mexico, whether it's Mexico City, whether it's in regional cuisine that's from like, you know, small countrysides, Thai, China, I mean, all these that as soon as you put it into a restaurant in Indianapolis, in New York, even in Mexico City, like Mexican City, Mexico City, like food loses some essence than when you get from when you're on the marks in Oaxaca or, you know, different regions that everything kind of gets lost a little bit. You know, I was talking to somebody, just the water that you use, and obviously we know from spirits like how important the water is, the water they use for rice, that rice in the United States will never taste the same as rice in Japan. And whether they bring in the rice and they do everything and it's the same exact chef, like there's nothing you can do about that. And why, you know, sourdough bread from San Francisco is from sourdough and bagels from New York, it has to do with all this sort of factors that there's nothing you can do to recreate it as much as you want to. And in the spirits business, we refer to that as terroir. You hear us talking
0: about that all the time, but like that kind of sense of the, place. Well, of actually,
1: I, I think that's a little bit more the wine business that the spirits business is. Well, I mean, you get it, in it in
0: through in Mezcal. You get it through I'm in not Rum, Agricole. I'm just saying, I think the terroir uh, right. is, uh, it, it, okay, wine. is more well, We talk about wine. it a lot was my point, okay, asshole. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah,
1: I'm not choosing sides. I'm just saying. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I will add that the whole authentic thing, like it's probably more, more grossly demonstrated in you know, quote Mexican food in this country because it's not like everyone um, throughout this country has exposure to Thai food or to more, and more esoteric genres of food or, or, or Indian food. But I mean, you can get you know, quote Mexican food all over the U.S. and in the most like remote places now a lot of it probably doesn't go too much further than you know Tex-Mex, and very little of it is actually authentic. But as a food genre, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, you have a hell of a lot more Mexican places that are out there serving false food.
2: That I mean, I mean is, this was interesting. When I went to, and quickly, sorry to cut you off, but, like, it was fascinating. So I did this uh, expo in, in two thousand. What are we now? I like 10. And it was like Madrid Fusion. So they did this one. It's always in Spain, but they did one in Mexico. It was all Spanish and Mexican chefs. And all the Spanish chefs at that time were all about avant-garde. And it was like pan con tomate that had no tomato, no pan, but somehow or another it was still tasted like it. And all the Mexican chefs at the time was like these older, you know, ladies and, and chefs. And they're like, if you don't know how to nixtamalize corn and crush your own corn, you're not making real Mexican food. And it's because, like what you were saying right now, it's gotten so augmented and, you know, Tex-Mex and everything that it got destroyed that why we kind of go back to what is authentic. And I think you see this with a lot of Thai food that everyone has a you know, crappy pad thai, and a little tamarind and shrimp, and you call this pad thai, um, that it kind of Mexico, in a sense, needed to kind of grab back their their essence of their food. And I think you see this like, like General Tso's chicken and like Chinese, like, first of all, this is what Mexican food's about. And now that you're starting to see this huge explosion with all these wonderful chefs from Mexico and Ricolvera, that then now we're able to play with food. And now I'm able to do a porchetta sandwich without people having to necessarily say, is this authentic, is this not authentic? Like, it, you know, the, the dish is normally a meatball stuff with like, you know, with a hard boiled egg and like a broth. In a sense, it's nothing like that. But it, does it have all the flavors? Does it have that feeling? Like, does anyone ever argue if this is like authentic fried chicken? It's like this is this style of fried chicken or that style of fried chicken. Like, when you're doing barbecue, there's you know 30 different types of barbecue. And if you're trying to do a specific type from one, but I'm not. You're saying you know I'm doing my barbecue, and this is that style, and I'm doing a North Carolina one. I'm not using barbecue based or mustard based. And like, right. there's a little like as you start to understand a little more, I think then you have a better way of of uh, of kind of explaining what it is. And, and people kind of accepting. So, like, Mexico, I think, really need to grab a hold of their of their kind of cuisine that we understand very well, but that necessarily other people kind of assume it was, it was, that that is what Mexican food is. And, you know, but I'm, I'm used to, like, I was in North Carolina for a while, and everything was, like, all had numbers, and it was, like, one, one hard taco, one soft taco, one chimichanga and beans and <laughs> right, rice. And it was yeah. like your choice of mix and match. And that's what this idea of Mexican food is. And I was like, oh, beans, yes, rice, yes, tacos, yes. There are all these things or dishes that exist, but nothing like this combination, nothing. So, like, when I did my restaurant, I had no beans and rice on my menu for a while. And I was like, it's not that we don't eat beans and rice and we eat them all the time, but I was like, I want to showcase another aspect right. of, of what it else. can be and, like, I'll explain to you. And, like, we had no Corona, we had no Patron. Like, this was all about, like, let's try Bohemia. Not like Bohemia is this wonderful beer. It's still, But it's something much better than Corona and it's something different. And I was like, what is it that you really like about Corona? I was like, why do you really like Budweiser? He's like, oh yeah? And we see like with the craft beer revolution, I mean here, like obviously in bourbons and. Yeah,
1: in those cases, that's largely <clears throat> brand loyalty and with uh, yeah. uh, a big pinch of ignorance. <laughs> and uh, a giant pinch of advertising.
2: <laughs> and say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you know, perhaps, you know, uh, Mexico in the future will be able to to, to reconcentrate concentrate its, its culture. Because, you know, we've got this, like, wall thing that's happening.
0: Oh, Jesus. Right? <laughs> that wall is never happening. What the fuck? <laughs> but there's definitely a bigger emphasis being placed on Mexican cuisine. Like, I know I heard, like, what was it, like, 10 years ago, all the, like big, well-known chefs running Michelin three-star restaurants all over the world We're talking about. Brazil was like this new cornucopia. They found all these fruits that they'd never known to exist anywhere, but they had to go out in the fucking Amazon and hunt this shit down, right? And now you're seeing a lot of those same chefs like talking about like how they can't believe that they just ignored Mexico for so long because... You can just go to, like, Mexico City to, like, the Mercado Central or whatever yeah. and, and,
2: and, like, buy the,
0: instead of having to hunt it, it down in no, the rainforest.
2: No, and, and Mexico has a huge amount of, like, cuisine and culture and, like, tradition from it it's interesting how, um, you know, I think Mexico kind of has this, what's called Malinche. So Malinche was this was this lady that kind of turned against Mexico um, a few hundred years ago. And so this, this idea of Malinchista saying kind of, like, you're anti your own sort of... Uh, you're anti your own sort of country. Um, So really all, all chefs, you know, when I was growing up in Mexico, there was uh, open like we go to bar and it was like open bar and it was like national or international. International was always like three times the price of national spirits. Okay. But we always thought in, everything imported was better, so we would drink a lot of brandy, a lot of crappy rum and cokes. Um, you know, uh, Buchanan's is the number was the number one whiskey in Mexico, and these are things that we think is is better. And so, no chef ever wanted to become a Mexican chef. We wanted to cook Italian, French, you know, Spanish food. Like that's the good stuff. Best food in the world, Mexican food, no doubt about it. My grandma makes it, my mom makes it. I go home, that's what I eat. I always have hot sauce in my way. Like, but if it's a chef, I'm going to learn about French food. And then little by little, we had this international recognition. UNESCO gave us world heritage for like our bean or chili or corn. And when all these sort of, kind of factors kind of came in, that we started to realize that we actually had something special and other people appreciate it, then it's when you start to see these chefs saying, okay, well, now I'm going to start cooking Mexican food. And when, you know, um, you know, Rene Redzepi has his Mexican restaurant, all these sort of things, like it adds to it. So I think it kind of goes back to, in a sense, to like mezcal and tequila. We never cared about it. Like tequila, mezcal was town people. And it was like for the lower echelon people. And we would never drink that sort of thing. It was, you know, I drink the good stuff, Bacardi, like that, <laughs> oh, you know, God. I, you know that's don't get so, me
0: started uh, on that. <laughs> you know what I mean?
2: Even though I have, I mean, I drink a lot of Roman Cokes in Mexico and I go back to a time and a place that I still enjoy. But it it is nothing to be, uh, to be really proud of. There about. are some <laughs> real cool rums coming out of Oaxaca right now, though. There's really, and there's um, one called uh, the one, yeah. the Paranubes. Paranubes yeah, is really is cool. Yeah, so
0: good. And Charanda is a. Is yeah, a, I just yeah. saw that this morning. That's crazy that you mentioned that. I saw that it was labeled, though, as a Charanda um, It said like Mexican, and then it said like quote rum, but it was in quotes because he couldn't legally call it rum because it has uh, its uh, own denomination. It has its own DO. That's right. So it is Tequenda is the spirit. Have you heard of this, Arthur? So it's a uh, thanks for telling me, buddy. Sorry. I mean, we've been doing this show for how how long now? It never came up. Uh,
2: Yeah, we've never (laughs) talked about rum on this show before. <laughs> but it's really interesting. But it has its yeah, own. It's right. a small little town in Michoacan. It's a sugar distillate. So it's like sugar cane distillate. That uh, so little by little. Now all of a sudden, people are getting excited, and all of a sudden, as Mexicans, we're like, wait a minute, we got something cool here, and everyone's kind of starting to get on the the kind of bandwagon of uh, of trying to. So right now, my partner is actually the secretary of the CRM, so for the, which is the regulating body for mezcal. The, um, Consejo Regulador del Mezcal. And one of the things that, we're, that he's working with the government and what Mexico's trying to do is trying to, to create mezcal as like the most premium white spirit in the world. Um, and so we're pushing that sort of idea of like following kind of the, the more of the rules and, the, and the, the path of like cognac and like sing, and uh, single malt scotches instead of trying to follow the path of tequila. So like, you know, the money is gonna be in smaller batch, higher valued, you know, really craft well-distilled well spirits and not trying to do so much, these mass production and trying to get, you know, every, every volume account that exists in the world. Well, before we get ahead of ourselves, yeah. we
0: skipped right past that. Um, you actually are a partner. At a uh, for a mezcal producer.
2: That that's correct. So, um, so we have a, our company is called Mezcales de Leyenda. Um, and under that, we have two little brands. We have Mezcales de Leyenda. That's all about um, regionality of mezcal. So we have five different mezcales right now in our core line. Each one is from a different state. Um, so we have Oaxaca, Guerrero, Durango, um, San Luis Potosí, San Luis Potosi, and um, Puebla. And then we have another brand called Pelotón de la Muerte. Which means the uh, the Squadron of Death or Brigade of Death, and so when the founding father of Mexico, Miguel Hidalgo, was killed in 1810, they formed this Squadron of Death, and on the back of the label there's like a flag, um, and this is the flag oh, that they that is awesome that they flew to get his revenge. So it's this really cool like like skull and cross um, sort of thing. It says Aloliente Hidalgo. Um, Look for so our Instagram cool. account; we'll have it up there. Yeah,
1: yeah that's pretty bad
2: <laughs> So it's, it's a pretty cool uh, it's a pretty cool historical aspect. So so the idea is to talk about you know, mezcal has to come from one of nine states. Um, it can be any Type of agave, so it has that really diverse regionality that you can't get really near the other spirits. What so. was
1: the ninth one? Because it was just eight, and they did the one, ninth is one. Puebla. Okay, so was. so
2: Michoacan was the eighth, and then Puebla was the ninth. Um, so now we're nine different states um, of the 32 states that exist in Mexico. 23 has agave that grows in there. So little by little, I think we're going to see this kind of uh, deal kind of grow to incorporate all the states that are you know making a mezcal. Um. Do you think the regulatory body will, will embrace
1: that expansion and to, to include other states?
2: They are. They are. I mean, I know on the regulatory side, like the president, Hippocrates, Juan um, Jaime, who's from Los Ansantes, they're all about the growth of, of the category.
1: Okay, so it's a promotional thing. And, and, and um, it's it's trying to
2: give credit, but obviously what there's... What about, there's isn't <laughs> it
1: just a thought, like uh, more industrious producers that are looking to be able to source agave from other places...
2: You know, so there's two things. One, I mean, producers in Oaxaca are a little more, are are, are wanting to keep the denomination smaller because they're worried about losing that, um, you know, that market share. Right. So even smaller producers, like nothing. And then industrialization, not so much of an issue because Mezcal has this aspect where um, you can source the agave from anywhere in the country, but if you distill it in one state, that's where it's from. So you can source it from Morelos, even though it's not part of the denomination of origin, and still produce it in Oaxaca, and it's a Oaxacan mezcal that's certified. So it's not necessarily a... uh, um, So there's a whole other issue with industrialization, but I don't think it's necessarily uh, um, rooted in kind of the growth of the category itself. So we'll see. But, uh, but, yeah. I see you're
0: staying dry over there. (laughs) No, 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 I'm just messing with you, man. I'm just nosing it. I also um, immediately... Through that whole uh, food poisoning, stomach upset thing, out the window with the first uh, yeah, sniff. You're I you're was number two. I was nosing as well. I know I've already tasted two muskylas now. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, I feel better. Yeah, until <laughs> they wear off, of course. <laughs> well, I, I, just, I told him I was like, well, I mean, I'm completely, I'm lacking in all stomach acid at this point for the last 36 hours, but hey. Uh, <laughs> Danny was kind to remind me. He was like, well, there's there's good acid in these. And just <laughs> yes, replenish some of the flora. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no other way to ruin my nosing a mezcal than to talk about <laughs> gast- <laughs> gast- 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 gastric, gastric juices. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wouldn't be the first time. So. What, do you, what do you have in your glass over there, Arthur?
1: I don't know. Um, oh, you should. got the peloton. We so we can talk about, about this
2: one. So this one is, so the way we kind of got started from Mezcal de Leyenda, there's two guys that started the company called Juan and Cesar, um, and they actually opened the first mezcal bar in Mexico City. So it goes back to, they opened it in 2005. Before that, you know. Really? The yeah. first Mezcal bar in New Mexico City opened it just 13 years ago. 13 years ago. So no, no one cared about Mezcal. We all were interested in other things. And the way. Bacardi. It kinda, <laughs> Bacardi. Rum and Coke and, and, and Brandy, Torres Diez. Um, at that time it was Chivas, now it's uh, you know uh, Buchanan's. Like these things that we thought were, were quality spirits. And so, um, you know, my, one of my partners says that he went to a wedding in Oaxaca in 1998 and I mean, got completely annihilated and woke <laughs> up the next day and felt surprisingly well. And he was like, well, what the hell did I drink last night? So he found out it was this producer, Don Cusberto. Um So he went looking for him, went to, and so my other partner was working for the Secretary of Tourism and he was up in Durango and he came back and he was like, do you know there's Mezcal out here? And this was 98, like really almost pre-internet. The denomination of origin of Mezcal was 1994. There was only five states at the time. And so they're like, let's figure out what the hell this is about. And so they started driving around and meeting different producers from Guerrero, Oaxaca, you know, Puebla, San Luis Potosí. And in 2005, they finally opened this little mezcal bar that's not much bigger than the booth we're sitting in right now. Um, and it was, and everybody for a while called it La Mezcalería. And they opened, you know, in different cities. And they had one in, in uh, Madrid, but now we only have them in Mexico. Um, but it was the first time that people were tasting and we had them all under the brand La Botica and it was all about like different, different regions, different agaves. Um, and so this one we sold as Minero. I mean, in Minero, these are all like mining mezcals that were this how you got paid. You got paid some in cash and some in mezcal. Um, so this was kind of like the people's mezcal. Um, so in 2008, we started the line Mezcal de Leyenda and it was all about showing these regionalities. Um, but this was our number one selling mezcal, this Peloton. And so we uh, decided to bottle it as Peloton um, and then in 2010, we started in the United States, and we realized that there's obviously a big market for cocktail mezcales. Um, and this producer can produce, you know, three or four times the amount of other producers. Um, and so we kind of designed a bottle, like, in a liter, and ones that are, like, friendly for, for bartenders. Um, but it's a beautiful mezcal that, like, there was a reason why it, sold, it was the number one selling mezcal in our bars, um, and it was all in the same name that we, you know, has that beautiful sort of like smoky Essex, but it's got this nice kind of caramel finish, nice and herbaceous, like a really well-balanced um, mezcal that's really, really clean. Um, so we've seen really, you know, great success with it. That it's a wonderful way to kind of either start the night or end the night um, drinking mezcal because...
0: you got to be putting in some insane hours between running two restaurants and... Partnering with a with a company here. I have a three year old and a one year old. Jesus, <laughs>
2: <laughs> my wife's not happy with me. Most <laughs> 99% of the time, my wife hates me. Uh, so I was like, she doesn't even know I was leaving this morning, and she's like, don't go. I got to go to Denver tomorrow because we're we're starting in the state of Colorado. She's like, don't go to Colorado. I was like, I'm going to Indianapolis. I'll be back at like 10 tonight, but it gets lost in everything. It's like it's it's okay coming, um, but it's fun, you know, like so. I am one of the few people in this world, I think both of you probably are in the same boat where I enjoy what I do. So, it's it, you know, when you do it, like, I I, tr- I I wish there were more hours in the day. I've, like, I really I've reduced my sleep to, to fit all this in.
0: Yeah, there's not enough hours in the day just to read the books I want to read, much less do all the things <laughs> I want to do.
1: Um, there's a really, really awesome, like, YouTube viral skit thing with Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was, like, speaking to... Uh, Addressing some graduating class somewhere, and he was like, You know, you've got to work harder. You know, people say you need eight, 10 hours of sleep. No, you get six hours of sleep. Uh, if that's not enough, sleep harder. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, Okay, this kid, only do six, but, but just
0: make it hard. Make to sleep. hard. <laughs> I will pump hey. while I sleep. <laughs> I mean, that's like one that's of the reasons funny. we even do the podcast. It's like it's it's a it's a reset because stuff does get stressful. I mean, you've got two kids, a wife, two restaurants, a uh, Moscow that's company. mind blowing, man. It's insane. Um, but for us, we hit this is our reset button every few weeks. Okay. To like, here's why we do it because we really do love it, despite all the stress that comes along with it.
2: This is the fucking best industry yeah. to be yeah. in. Across the board, you, you gotta love it because it's 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 super long hours and working in restaurants. I mean, it's it's masochistic, like you know what I mean. It <laughs> yeah. really is. Like, I just opened another restaurant. And my wife's like, "Why the fuck did you do this?" And I was like, "I don't know." It's like I had this idea of this food and we're gonna do it. And with mezcal and it's gonna Just to look at amazing. her and go,
1: "Cause I love you."
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did it for you, honey. <laughs> I, I
1: did no, that, all no. this, all this for you.
0: Yeah, she stopped buying that one a, a while ago. I realized well, after the last one that it wasn't that I have an addiction to projects. I think is what it is. Like I just. I have a really cool idea and I'm going to set it all up and then it's going to be cool. And then you realize at the end that it requires, you know, another 40 hours a week of time. And you're like, okay, well, i just carve that out of uh, the air. <laughs> you know? That's the idea like requires it. maintenance. Well, and I think you do the same thing, Arthur. Mm-hmm. Like you, what, beyond traveling, education, all that, you're just like, you just started your spirits class, which wasn't uh, necessary and it wasn't already on your plate. You were just like, hey. Let's go start another course. Yeah, we'll build a 12-week curriculum (laughs) for, you know, three-hour lectures. I think Danny hit it. It's masochistic. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's funny in writing the material. It's like a lot of the material that I have written in in other presentations. Is that that the Carrero? Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I still feel compelled to, like, put in as much as conceivably possible for the bulk of students that don't really give a shit or, you know, it won't really... Register like you must know all sugars that are fermentable and all sugars that are not fermentable, and where exactly they come from, and the byproducts. But no, it's it's it's. If someone raises their hand, like,
0: <laughs> um, what's fermentation? <laughs> oh, you're, you're,
2: no, you're being facetious,
0: <laughs>
1: man. I've like been talking about Rhone, and we'll break it down according to acreage, and then communes, and great varieties, and soil structures, and. And, and you know like just geeky clonal variations obscure grape varieties and at the end someone will be like so is Rhone Syrah and I'm like oh, God, yeah uh, part of it or
0: well, that person just dropped your class <laughs> yeah, just stuck around well, you know right?
1: they just you know um, that's why I make my examinations at least at this point extremely easy and make the content Hard and bulky for, for something for everybody, so so um, going through the um, the the village oriented lines, um, which which should we start with?
2: So I would start with the Oaxaca. Um, I think so. We have here on the table we got um, from three different states, three different agaves. So we have yeah. one from Oaxaca agave espadín. So each one of our of our mezcal's ideas is to try is to you know the best we can represent a region with a mezcal. So each one is kind of the endemic agave from kind of really important areas. So the one from Oaxaca is a town called San Juan del Río. So it's a small town in the central valleys of Oaxaca. Um, really, you know, all Zapotec, a, lo- a lot of descendants of Mezcal production there. Um, first town on this river, so it's really known for that kind of sweet Zapotec, fresh water. Zapotec, the sky people. It's interesting how they, 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 only, they only, all that's all they speak, I mean, to themselves. is Zapotec, but it's not a written language. So it's something that little by little has come, has influence think, like, starts Oaxaca coming in. I think Oaxaca
1: has like, like 12 indigenous languages or something I, like I that. Mean, I think more
2: than that. It's by far the state with the most amount of indigenous groups. I mean, there's a lot of like smaller and there's uh, there's a ton of it. Um, so it's really interesting. So I mean, this is our, this is, he's a third generation producer, Don Guillermo Nolasco. Um, so this is kind of a kind of a quintessential sort of mezcal of this, uh, of this sort of region, like you know, all these little details of every little mezcal and, like, he doesn't cut the leaves, the penca so close to the heart, which leaves a little more, in my opinion, astringency. I won't describe it too much and I'll let you nose it and talk about it, but, but all these little sort of things that are traditional in one region are different in another. And I always ask the stupid question of, like, why do you do this? And it was like, and this one gentleman who he was in Spain, he's like, they uh, beat an octopus 50 times against a stone to soften it up. And he asked, like, why do you do it 50 times? And he's like, well, because 49 is not enough and 51 is too many. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and they say this, like, yeah, are you a fucking idiot? Yeah of, <laughs> right. yeah, of course. Well, that's why I was like, Why isn't course. it 50? <laughs> it's like, so, this, so everything they do is because that's, that's the way it's done. That's the way my father's done it and my grandfather, and that's the way we do it. And there is no its um, idea of also preserving these sort of traditions and kind of styles. Um, that's beautiful. I'm, I'm into the Carrero. Uh, uh, which this is real nice, man. So the second one uh, from Guerrero is um, that we have here is from a wild agave called Papalote. Um, so uh, and the uh, the Papalote the word means kite, and these leaves are kind of shaped like kites. Um, so it's a wild agave that grows kind of on this mountain range in the southern part of Mexico, um, three hours south of Mexico City, three hours north of Acapulco. So that gives any frame of reference, um, but. This, you get these wonderful sort of like tropical notes on the nose, um, kind of nice sweetness, a little bit of black pepper. Yeah, I got the black pepper right immediately. I mean, it's there's a lot going on. It's one of the ones that I find that like the smell and the flavor profile is a little different. Yeah. So you get there's just a whole lot. of people that really like mezcal and this is one of my favorite types of agaves in general. It's kind of one of the ones that changed my idea. Instead of like looking at brands, it became much more kind of like wine. Saying you know like, uh, you know I have an affiliation towards like you know either Rhone style or you know or Bordeaux or even like. You know, Pino's from Oregon. Um, oh. yeah. I'm like pouring mezcal all over the mic. Cords. <laughs> and we're out. Um, <laughs> right. So um, so it's kind of talking about that regionality. And then we have another one from Durango, which is from the northern part of Mexico. Um, and this is a, another wild agave called cenizo. There it is. <laughs> which means Nice which means ash. Um, so, you know, it's something that, you know, what we try to do as a company is to showcase these varietals because, you know, Mezcal is, in the terms of DO, I think it's like seven or eight times the size of Scotland in landmass. So it's a huge area. Um, it's one of the most biodiverse countries in the world. So you, when you talk about southern Mexico, almost tropical, jungle-like, to northern Mexico, which is almost desert, to northern Mexico, which is a desert, but we're here in Durango, semi-arid, like, dry mesquite, you're going to see the mesquite that they cook and the agave, all these sort of factors play into such a variety of flavors that it's no longer nuances and you, like, you know, as much as I love tequila, like, there are nuances, and you taste the lowlands, you taste the highlands, can you notice that little citrus note? It's like, here, it's night and day. It's kind of like scotch that, like, when you're looking at a bottle, you really have no clue what you're about to get into until you start tasting it. Um, So, you know, that's kind of the idea of what we try to do. You know, we're certified organic, which, as a spirit drinker, I could care less about the spirit being organic, but it's about really, like, sustainability in the sense of, like, you know, you know bats being one of the biggest pollinators for mezcal, and, like, why do we have so much issue with bees in the United States is because of all the pesticides and everything, That is something for us for sustainability, um, and then now they're all certified fair trade, so making sure that we're, you know, everyone talks about how well they treat their producers, um, so we kind of wanted to really put our money where our mouth is and really help out these kind of communities, because, you know that's that's the essence of mezcal is the producer, is the people, the towns. You said, uh,
1: you said bats a second ago, um, and uh, the packaging on these are they're they're really gorgeous packages, but on each of the the labels, they're little little silhouettes of, of creatures, and I think one of one of them is a, a bat. bat. and we got a snake, and then. if uh, <laughs> so you get this one right? Uh, well, I'm hoping it's an a possum. There you go,
2: it's a possum. Because, uh, because the alternative would be a rat. Like a
1: rat. <laughs> I'm trying. to, Like, would it be nicer to say it's a rat or a possum?
0: Um,
2: these are these are just like the uh, the agaves. These are, are animals that are native. Like the bat, obviously, is to a lot of places. But they are like this type of a snake is called a Um and so and then the the possum or the opossum is, uh, you know, the uh, uh, an animal that exists a lot in this region. So it was kind of a, a little more play on these sort of uh, these kind of regionalities of. of of mezcal in the area. These are all delicious, man. Uh, Uh, I
1: haven't gotten all the way through them just yet. I'm still
0: (laughs) still
2: working, still working, but they're, yeah, Yeah, they're unique and they're all very, uh, specific to how many markets are you in now? So we have now five states. So we have these three and then we have one from San Luis Potosí, which is an really interesting one because this kind of region, this kind of mining region in Mexico, they stopped distilling, um, underground, or I mean cooking underground, and they started cooking in pits above ground. So where tequila kind of changed into more industrialized, these they still do it in these gigantic like stone ovens. Um, So it doesn't have that smoke that you normally attribute to mezcal, but it is traditional mezcal from San Luis Potosí. And then the latest state, Puebla. So Puebla, you know, which is a fascinating area, kind of like Puebla and Oaxaca. This is kind of like what I call like the breadbasket of Mexico. This is where like they first started nixtamalizing corn. Um, You know, a lot of chilies are native to this region. So it's a really important kind of culinary area. Um, And they've been making mezcal for, you know, centuries. Um, And so that this is an area that just got part of the DO and now is finally part of like mezcal. So our producer has been making it. And, you know, his grandfather was, or his father, sorry, which his grandfather, so I mean, and this gentleman's 60 years old, and his son's taking over. Um, they've been making Mezcal in the same sort of town, and he was bragging about how they have the largest, t- the largest church in like a hundred mile radius. Um, so it's this cool little, you know, kind of history of, of Mezcala in this area of kind of southern part of Puebla. I'm
0: not sure that I've had a Mezcal from uh, Puebla. I'm sure you have, Arthur, in your travels. Uh, probably. Can't think of one offhand.
2: Yeah. Him. There's and th- when was that added to the uh, to the DO? It was added uh, close to a year ago now. Okay, so a little bit, but there's only two mezcal. Well, there's we have two from Puebla. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have this kind of special release one that we did from like the reserve of a, what they call biosphere, which is kind of national parks, um, and then we have our regular line from Puebla. That's a tobalá, and then after that, there's only one other tobalá. I mean, uh, Puebla mezcal that I know in the U.S. market, and Mexico is still regionality. So like, you go to Mexico City. And besides the mezcal bars, commercialized mezcal is going to be 90% uh, Oaxaca. And so unless you're in Puebla, unless you're in kind of these towns, you're not going to really see a lot of this mezcal yet. Like it's still still kind of a work in progress.
0: Yeah, we talked about it a little bit about um, the addition of the DOs and some of the changes what, with Jay Schrader on a mm-hmm. previous episode. But that was... That was over a year ago. Okay. Um, Jay's in Chicago. He's now at uh, yeah, he's beverage that's... director at Kiote. Yeah, he's in uh, Quixote, he was exactly at Las Flores. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but
1: of uh, legislation was pretty new though. Even it though was getting that fuzzy he, that yeah. we had talked about it. Yeah, I mean he he seemed to be pretty dialed into it.
0: Yeah, I think he actually might be in Mexico right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. He seems to be down there about every two months. So living the dream. <laughs> living the dream. dream Who <laughs> would be against going back down there? Guatemala's
1: still calling my name. Oh yeah. <laughs> I miss my avocado box, man. My tree box.
0: <laughs> well, we can, start, uh, we can start lobbying for a, a trip to uh, Mexico from anybody that we might know that would be a partner at a producer. <laughs> I guess technically not a it's producer because you work with the producers oh, of course producers. yeah we need to clarify when we say that a brand uh, yeah. because you're working with the producers that are the sometimes producer. three,
2: four generations in. So. yeah yeah, so we don't do it like and people like that is like the producer I was like ah' it's like yeah. I know I know the technicalities of how to make mezcal. Right. I probably would kill you all if you had a, oh, right. a batch yeah. of my of my mezcal if I had to make it with these hands if so.
0: you didn't get killed by the yeah. actual producers first by claiming that you made their their product yeah. <laughs> or, or blowing up during the distillation <laughs> process. Yeah right. That's <laughs> what would happen with me. I'd be like, hey, this this will work, I think. Hold on, <laughs> the, the, that beer would be gone. Light be the nice fire! System. Light the fire! <laughs> yeah, like,
1: like Beaker off the Muppets. <laughs> Kaboom! <laughs> uh, can you are these available um, in our market? And
2: uh, there, there are no. There should be. <laughs> you know, well, well, <laughs> short answer. I was like, how do I, how, how do I sugarcoat? Um, they're going to pick them up, so probably by the end of uh, you know May, they should they'll be available. Okay. Um, how many states days. are you in? Um, you just, well,
1: I said five.
2: Oh five. no, okay. five states for mezcal in the United States. We're in like Mescal's is like in like like thirty six states now. Okay. Um, oh okay. Sorry, so, I that should yeah, have been more clear. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so mezcal we're in five states here, and you know we're in. All the the major markets now. Peloton is in all fifty states, um, and then mezcal a little by little is kind of following suit. Now, these the are all beautiful.
1: That, that, that Peloton's really cool. Yeah, and I like the fact that it's it's lower proof. Yeah, also.
2: it's it's a beautiful sipping mezcal. Like it's a nice, but it works well with cocktails and stuff like that. So we've seen good success um, with it. So little by little, as people open up to to mezcal and the idea of it, you know, I think it's it's um, it's a matter of time. And now the big brands are coming in like we should start hopefully starting to see some more mascal on, on on more. more it seems like a areas. moving freight train.
0: I mean, because the, the conversation a lot is starting to pay attention more towards not just getting it into the United States, but like you talked about the sustainability of it, because the excitement took off pretty quickly. And now it's like the concerns fall down to some of the
2: sustainability of the wild agaves and the bats, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the interesting part is we're still looking at volume that is really low. So in right, certain markets, certain in certain, market, certain, niche, certain people, we're like, oh, my God, Mezcal's blowing up. And then we're looking at it. We still have like Mezcal, I think. You look at the
1: numbers and it's still pretty <laughs> It's. I
2: think we're like 0.1% um, of the market. So I mean, yeah. we're still like we're nowhere close to being of a huge concern of, of. But it is something that now that we have a chance, like I think a few times we get to actually see a category kind of come out of nowhere. And like we have we have the power right now to. To mold this category and to make sure that we're doing things right and not follow down the path that we've seen so many other ones do that that have not been beneficial to the communities to the cities to the country um you know to the consumer really without the consumer even knowing that what they're drinking now and is not nearly as good as what they used to be drinking like you know so um uh, it, so it's something to be important like
1: there's a lot of exciting activity but you guys there, there are going to be some some hurdles i mean it's the 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 people's like mass perception of mezcal and what it is is, you know, either they think that it's something that you ingest, like, if you're in a movie, like, uh, uh, oh, God, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas or something like that, um, or they just assume they're, you're talking about the worm. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think, like, I've read, like, the number one, if you were to call them, like, premium you know, importer of, of mezcal as far as, like, annual cases is probably, like, Fifteen thousand cases coming yeah. into the country. I mean, it's just it's drops in the buckets compared to to tequila. Of course. Um, so it's it'll it it'll, it'll take time, but it's it'll take it's, time. it's good to see that bartenders are extremely excited about it. And then more and more like spirit, you know, gourmands or aficionados that I know that are collectors are are getting pulled into it and really getting blown away with with mezcal and the quality of mezcal.
2: Yeah.
0: God knows I
1: got a place in my heart for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always rum or Moscow. That's, yeah, that's my, my two go tos. Yeah. yeah. Rum first, usually, but I mean, Arthur and I usually. definitely share a love for Moscow, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you've got an event here this afternoon. Um, so are you introducing these mescalas to our market?
2: Uh, no, we're still just focusing right now on Peloton. Okay. We've only been in the market with Peloton so no one's for a couple months. <laughs> only you two. Only you two. <laughs> <laughs> they, can, they can hear about it. They can salivate it. And then soon, they'll Leave be the soon. Bottles at them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we'll them, we'll Right. We can show you pictures on Instagram. But... Um, but, yeah, no, it's, right now it's Peloton, so we're doing, like, a cocktail, and we're doing some uh, tasting with that, and then uh, we're doing, like, a nice dinner pairing. Like, we get more and more into food. I'm, as a chef, obviously, to me. And, like, once, you know, I love tasting with other people because people get, like, a flavor profile. and something that I didn't even, like, dawn on me. Um, and when you start pairing with food, and you find, like, a mixture, like, I, was, I had this, like, steak, and with Durango, it was, like, the perfect combination. That I've never in my life, I had the steak, and it was just a little chimichurri, and I was drinking my mezcal, and I was like, I have to do another steak. And I ordered a whole nother steak and a, whole, and like in a mezcal too, because it was, it was so little by little, um, kind of educating and understanding, because it's high proof spirits. So that's something that's always a challenge of kind of getting people to get past that alcohol yeah. and then really starting to realize that there's so much underneath it you know, and we talk about all these flavors and they have like, our, our mezcals have these like little ribbons on them. So I was like, you know, this one's a little more citrus, is a little more tropical, this one, you know, has a little more like cocoa and kind of tree fruit. And they're like, oh, they're infused, they're like vodkas. And I was like, no. I was like, no, oh, man. I was like, these, these 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 notes are like, slight notes are like, it's alcohol. You know what I mean? Can that's you your- Can you hear my one. heart crack. Yeah, I know. Yeah.
0: But it's those little things that like help to the education that's of right. it. I mean, it's it's always a long process, that's for sure. I mean, it's-, it's a, And it's, there's companies that do those kinds of things that yeah. definitely don't help the cause. I mean, I've, I've said a thousand times that I, I
1: speak alcohol better than English. <laughs> did, did that come out correctly? That, did that, it though? did this yeah. time, but usually you time. say I speak
0: alcohol call. good than English. <laughs> right. So, so, yeah. <laughs> right.
1: Proving my point. Yeah. <laughs> right. But like, you, you talk to consumers all the time about uh, really any genre of, 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 of spirit or, or alcohol and you say something to the nuances and they're like, what? They. They put Fruit Loops in this wine? It's like, no, I'm just telling you descriptors of Viognier. You know, like. <laughs>
0: that's great. Fruit Loops. <laughs> oh, that, I mean, like, it's one thing. It was like, what? There, are there cherries in here? <laughs> like, that, but Fruit Loops, they, that, yes, they bought that, tons of Fruit
1: Loops and infused. Uh, Fruit Loops is a classic uh, <laughs> MS descriptor for Viognier. Keith Goldson, a long time ago, um, I was taking my advanced and. San Francisco, I think, and we were talking about Vignet and doing a blind tasting of, it, and he was like, "Wait here," and he ran to like the hospitality, like the kitchen or somewhere, and came back with a little box of Fruit Loops, and passed it around, and we we're all like, "Yeah, holy shit, Viñay smells mm-hmm. like
2: Fruit Loops." <laughs> um, but you need that sort of thing, though. No? Um, like you, yeah. Yeah. and you do it, and then all of a sudden, like when that kind of light turns on. It, you it, start to get it they registers
1: well, but you yeah. tell that to a lot of people and they chuckle and they go oh they put Fruit Loops in this <laughs> it's like no you know and it's the same just, thing with the descriptors that you can pull out of, um,
0: uh, out, of out of Mezcal yeah, I think it's cool you're doing that with the ribbons. I, I didn't make the connection there with the colors of the ribbons, but, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. It's subtle. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's
2: picking up on that well, until you really and like we, You know, I don't think we did it on purpose. Really? Like, no, I, I know we didn't do it on purpose. Like, when we started off, they were, like, they're just colors they picked, and then as we started tasting them, like, they really fit. But, like, my partners, and, like, and they've gotten better, but it's funny, like, in Mexico, like, Americans are much more, you know, I think... That, they're better at at describing what they're tasting and understand and there's more of this kind of nerdiness of like wanting to know about terroir and soils and all these sort of things so where in Mexico it's like it's good it's not good too many Mexicans no oh, no we need more you know <laughs> 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 like, I mean, like, so it's very interesting like, uh, it was like what do you think of this it's like it's good I yeah, like, oh, that's no, great. I mean, like, oh but like and it's really interesting. And when I go to the other side, like here in the United States, and it's a lot more of like, oh well, you know, that's wonderful. And it's got this right nice, you know, viscosity that can really taste that and it like has a long finish and like there is that kind of knowledge of wine that I think obviously translate to how you describe things um, that it's interesting to, to to so I know that there was just pure coincidence, but then it started working and like as we've noticed that like so now as we do different Lines. I'm going to make sure that we have some sort of... Right. So you can find something. You can understand and you can remember because it obviously as you try to educate and you see so many balls of mezcal and there's so much going on that like, like somebody was telling me, is like, how would I know? Like, I like this flavor profile. Like, looking at a bottle, how would I know that I'm getting something similar to that, to any other mezcal? And I was like, you don't. Like, you have to taste and you have to figure out. It's not even like you can find, like, you know, uh, you know a Highland or an Islay or something like that that at least you have some sort of idea um, that these, like... You know, you can have a lot, especially in Oaxaca, there's such varietals that it's hard to, to say, okay, this is, if you never know what the word, you know, Marequisha means, right. what to expect from sure. that. And so it's still a lot of education because it's very complicated. Like Italian wine to me, like, you know, I know nothing. And I, and I go in and I'm always kind of in little by little. I've been taking a little more wine courses because I want to understand more. But I still come in and it's like a blank slate and I'm just looking at a wall of like... It's a like, lot of you know, information. It's a lot of information. Like, and, and they're and their grapes mm. are their own kind of endemic to them, and they. So it's not even like I can, you know. Sure. You, know, as you start, you know, muscle kind of memory. Like, I know that, and I've learned a lot about, like, Spain. I've learned a lot about, uh, you know, France. But like, Italy is another animal. That, and in Portugal. Like, it, Italy's a
1: beast. Portugal's have fun <laughs> with Portugal. Uh, <laughs> Portugal, like, despite of being a small country, um, it, they, they just they don't dig on non indigenous grape varieties cab yeah. shard make up you know a percentage of overall acreage and their grapes are just crazy Damn. um the names um Biscano even- cow strangling dog
0: <laughs> yeah, it's gonna
1: fly off the shelves you know although ed, let me just say i absolutely fucking love portugal it's one of my favorite countries to visit Damn. the food and the people um and the wine are all awesome
0: um ed did you have a favorite one of these man i really um Across the board, they're great, but I really like that uh, the Guerrero a lot. Um, I, I, well, I don't know. I really like the Durango a lot, too. <laughs> I don't know. Well, so we were talking about the tasting notes, and I know that you've got an event to get to, and we got to wrap up here. Um, so we always like give you an opportunity to like pass out the social media shout-outs, like how people can find you. But before you do like give us the website where you can find um, the company, um, are there like tasting notes on your website
2: uh, that go through some of these mezcales? So we, we, we put a lot of effort into our website. So we actually, I think one of the best websites out there that's um, uh, information about production, information about mezcal in general, tasting notes, what we're about, um, you know, all of like what we're trying to do, like fair trade certified, but also kind of, you know, pioneers. Are, we're working on like a solar distillery right now, so everything is going to be completely uh, powered by the sun. So okay. fermentation, distillation, and talking about like a zero footprint sort of mezcal, uh, mobile factories. That we're kind of copying the idea of cognac and going into these smaller, remote regions. Um, we have this wonderful like special edition of an agave from um, northern Mexico. That's an agave called Montana. That's never been distilled before. Um, so we're the first people to distill the agave that turns like bright red and yellow incredibly unique and very interesting sort of mezcal that is, is hmm. um, and this is an area where there isn't mezcal production, but it falls within the DO. So our producers from Guerrero went out there, we built a distillery, and they moved out there for like five months um, and made this really, I mean, it's, it's an incredibly unique, wonderful mezcal. So um, what is that website? So that our website is mezcalesdeleyenda.com, um, and then our all of our, you know, Facebook, Instagram... Uh, twitter which um, is leyenda mezcal okay so l-e-y-e-n-d-a mezcal with a z a pet peeve gotcha. of mine <laughs> we'll, we'll have it on the show notes yeah, so no, you, can, you can link through it yeah, yeah it's like, it's like, i'm not gonna like challenge it. anyone's uh spanish spellings here well I, people always like to i don't know why mezcal is like now like word and stuff like that translated to an s uh, yeah so. i see that a lot i don't know it's, it's i don't my, it's I think it's thing, a so. it's with the z
0: i think it's <laughs> some sort of uh I don't know, anglization? Ang- is, that, is that even a word? Anglo- is it? Anglos- I, whatever. Ang- I can't say that. Yeah, there we are. Anglicized. There anglicized. you go. Anglicized. Thank you. That's there what we were go. looking That's for, anglicized.
2: Um, but anyway, yeah. So, so it
0: size. looks like we're about to drink uh, uh, quite a few mescales despite um, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I said I wasn't going to drink it all today. How do you feel? Um, still, still well? I feel okay now, but uh, tomorrow might be a different story. Um, uh, have, so we always wrap up every episode with the same question um, because I may need that tomorrow damn
1: good point Dan um, do you is Dan okay or are you Danny or Daniel or? All, all
2: three of in my life I've oh, lived through all three of them okay,
1: that, <laughs> some people are real sticklers about their names man they really are really Artie Oh, Artie, yeah, Arthur, Arturo, Artemis, yeah, artichoke, like Artemis. artichoke, whatever, man. I'll deal with any of it. Um, but um, so, uh, Danny, now I forgot what the fuck I was going to ask you, Danny. Um,
2: oh, did you already ask him your favorite? <laughs> no, I didn't. No, no. Your, your hangover gear. <laughs> the Ojo Rojo. I mean, this is the greatest drink that exists out there, the greatest cocktail. So it's clamado. All the, you know, Michelas, so all the mixing, so lime, right. like spice, clamato, and beer. And it's like, it's got all the, the salinity and like MSG that one could need. It's liquid and the beer, which is enough alcohol to do it. That is, I mean, no brainer. That is. Ojo that, Rojo, man. If you're one. in Mexico. Like, okay. It's well. kind of like a, a beer, Bloody Mary-ish, but with like clam juice and a lot of spice. You know, Clamato.
0: <laughs> you never done that? No, I've done it. Uh, I don't know if I've done it. I don't know that. if it's ever wrapped. I'm not a, I'm not big on the, the, the Bloody Mary-esque kind of hangover cures for me. Well,
1: I can dig on that, but the clam juice is kind of what has but me. But you don't even
0: taste the clam juice. No, you, you don't. You, you know. don't, you don't it, even know it. Just it just brings that kind of like umami and richness to and, it. Yeah. And it's
2: got enough salt to hide everything else. But I'm not a big like Bloody Mary. Yeah. I'm with you on that. But if, if you go to Mexico, Ojo Rojo or Clamato, like a prepared Clamato. It's amazing. So Ojo Rojo, that's red eyes, right? Red eyes, exactly.
0: (laughs) Nice. I mean, it
2: it has its intention. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like, I mean, we have have no answer. You're like, it's
0: it's only served between the hours of 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. (laughs) No, <laughs> on we, uh, Sunday morning.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? We're, hung, we're hungover from like 8 a.m. to like 6 p.m. seven days a week. We're, it's, it's a big drinking uh, town, Mexico.
0: Danny, so. this was real awesome, man. I'm glad that we got to like, dive into like, uh, Mexican cuisine in addition to um, your, your fantastic company that you're working with. And so, I mean, we could sit here for another hour and a half, as we've done on numerous occasions when we talk about Mezcal. So, um, but yeah. we're going to let you, uh, let you go and talk to numerous other people that are curious about your product. And uh, again, thank you so much. No, thank and,
2: you, guys. And this was a lot of fun, man. Salud. Cita. Cheers. Salud.